This podcast is for investment professionals only. Hello and welcome to Rich Pickings, Fidelity's Asset Allocation Podcast, recorded in the month of March. I'm Richard Edgar, Editor-in-Chief, and with me are some of the multi-asset team collecting their thoughts after this month's Asset Allocation Group meeting a little earlier today. Joining me are Charlotte Harrington, Markets Analyst and... Highly proficient at lighting fires because I don't have central heating and I have a stove instead. I always thought you were a bright spark. Thank you very much. Uh, Bill McQuaker, welcome. Portfolio Manager and... Happily married man, looking forward to his first wedding anniversary later this month. Congratulations. Um, and James Bateman, CIO of Multi-Asset and... Recent um, sufferer from the cold weather, having had a power cut, a froze set of frozen pipes and a broken boiler all in one day to contend with, along, of course, with being a CIO. But never mind. Absolutely. My heart bleeds. It sounds like you need Charlotte along to um, help light, to light some, some fires. fires exactly. Absolutely. Yes. Well, welcome to you all. Um, James, let's talk first of all about the um, allocation itself. This time you, uh, you formally surveyed your portfolio managers to capture their thoughts and fixed income has veered back into view. Has the allocation actually changed? Yes, Richard, it has. Um, we have decided to um, increase fixed income and specifically go overweight government bonds. That is quite a significant move. This is the first time I think we've had a change in the allocation for... Well, since this co- podcast has been running. It, ha- it is, yes. And tell me uh, w- why. I mean, I feel like we should have trumpets blaring. Um, you know, basically, it's the t- start of a tail risk hedge. It's saying we know at some point the market is going to turn. We know at some point equities are going to roll over. Um, and because of that, um, we think it's prudent to start increasing the duration of the portfolio. And that means government bonds. Government bonds are vastly more attractively valued than, than, than corporates on average, plus also have a longer duration, hence more attractive. And um, whose uh, government bonds are you buying in particular? So really UK and US, so, so gilts and treasuries. Gilts in particular have longer duration. Indeed. Okay. Now, you um, earlier today borrowed from Churchill, saying it wasn't um, the end of the beginning, but it was perhaps the beginning of the end. Um, when does the end actually come? When do we... Well, you're, you're becoming defensive, but not especially Not so. especially defensive. And, and, and yes, you know, the, the, the challenge was saying it's the beginning of the end, which sounds like a great pronouncement, is, of course, um, that period before the end can be quite long. So, um, as, I, as, I, as I said this morning, somewhere between one day and 18 months. Um, in reality, it's not. In reality, we probably think anything between six and 18 months and probably next year. We're beginning to see cracks emerge. Um, this doesn't feel like the, the end of the bull market. It just feels like the last phase. And, and the last phase normally does last some time. The last hurrah. Okay. Well, thinking about the discussions that there have been um, uh, t- today and and yesterday, um, there was quite a change in tone uh, compared with more recent meetings. You've um, stopped worrying about inflation so much and have focused now on growth. Uh, Bill, why? I, I think the markets have really cottoned on to uh, some disappointing data on the inflation front, uh, and we've seen a, a fairly meaningful repricing uh, in equities and and in fixed income uh, to, re- to reflect that. Uh, what concerns me is that there may be some doubts yet to creep into people's minds of, about growth. Um, and where some, uh, some data to emerge that, that question the, the underlying growth dynamic, I think that would now have a, a much, much more dramatic impact on, on market pricing um, uh, because investors are quite complacent about the outlook for growth. So if, if, if one looks at uh, in, in inflation and growth together, uh, we've had the inflation surprise. It's been priced. Uh, the growth dimension uh, 
people are where they were at the tail end of last year. Still very comfortable that growth is going to going to be uh, strong. It's going to reassure, uh, and and if that were to be challenged, that's the. Uh, They're all looking the in the wrong wrong places at the moment. Indeed, that's that's the next issue for markets. Okay. Well, well Charlotte, um, having been more cautious in the past, um, you were talking about animal spirits at play, and um, you know that there was uh, further for this to um, further for, for this to run. Yeah, I think. Um, I suppose looking looking back at certainly at Trump's presidency when he when he first got in we saw a uh, a big big moves in markets and and data really picked up almost from that point onwards uh, I'm not attributing that directly to Trump but uh, there were obviously the conditions were in place and and we did see this sort of animal spirits take off uh, now we look at the picture and we see that the kind of the good bits of Trump for markets, which was really tax reform, is behind us. Uh, and we're starting to see some of these other policies creeping in in terms of trade talks and, and, and the disruptions within the administration. So I think some of those sort of animal spirits maybe start to fade. And actually, if we look at uh, a broad variety of growth data on the survey side, um, there has been a pause in the trajectory, the upward trajectory for growth. So I look at some of the business confidence indicators, um, factory orders, um, some of the trade data, and, it, and it's quite clear that there there's, looks to have been a, a peaking in global growth, but at very, very early days. And to Bill's point, that's not something that uh, markets seem to be positioned for. I think an, another uh, influence here is that if we look back over the, the last couple of years, there, there was a tremendous policy stimulus in the early part of 2016, particularly from China um, and from the, the Federal Reserve when they, they reassured markets that they were going to be especially careful in, in raising interest rates. Fast forward two years uh, and that, that stimulus has, has been replaced by, by tightening in, in different forms. Short-term interest rates have gone up in the US, long-term interest rates uh, have gone up in the US and elsewhere. Uh, and the oil price, which I, I think was quite an important driver uh, of, of demand the last couple of years, uh, has responded in significantly higher than it was uh, six or nine months ago. Uh, these, these are all developments that, that lean into growth and maybe sow the seeds for a negative growth surprise. So a fundamental change in the, in the broader picture, the conditions uh, that support all of the economies. Uh, absolutely. We, we've... We've had the growth and now we're seeing some of the, the price of growth, if you like. The price of growth is, is higher interest rates and higher commodity prices and that, that has the effect of, of, of slowing growth down. Slowing growth and, uh, and that also then begins to change the conditions uh, for companies, which means that we might start to see things that we haven't seen before. Um, you, you've well, talked about red flags in, in Europe, for in, example. In, in, indeed, there's, there's already some, uh, some very early signs, perhaps, of, of companies getting into a, a bit of trouble. Uh, we've seen in the UK um, more profit warnings than you might expect against this, you know, this narrative of great global growth. Um, but uh, there's been problems for companies in the retail sector, there's been problems for country, companies in restaurant business, uh, there's been problems in, uh, in the outsourcing area. Uh, and uh, I think that that might be telling us that some companies have built up balance sheets and, and debt levels that, that create a, a vulnerability. Um, I think Sorry. what's interesting ag against that backdrop that, that you paint is that the central banks continue to tighten policy uh, uh, and they're very focused on 
sort of what's behind us, if you like, which is what has been a strong period of growth and rising inflation. And so it's the first time really that we might get a collision between central banks continue to tighten as this sort of slight cyclical peak uh, unfolds itself against very, very optimistic uh, forward earnings um, forecasts. And I think that really does support this this move to, to being overweight fixed income. They're certainly saying that they're going to um, uh, tighten, but will they necessarily follow through? James? And, and uh, you know, Richard, I think the interesting thing is, is when you look at central banks, the thing that, you know, if the Fed turned around and said, actually, things aren't as good as we thought, we're going to tighten slower, you would see panic in the markets. I mean, that's the big panic-inducing event in, 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 in the S&P and in, in, in global equity markets. And therefore, actually, I think they want to keep up the, the, the rhetoric that tightening will continue at a sensible pace. And if they do moderate it slightly, they will do so in a very nuanced way that doesn't feel negative and doesn't feel bad. Because I think that is that, that to my mind, is a big risk for, for, for a, maybe not just the start of a bear market, but a, a real serious correction, is, is the Fed saying things aren't as good as we thought. Yeah. And, 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 and that, that perspective may well be right, but it is, it is troubling that even with this steady, careful rate of uh, tightening, we're, we're seeing evidence of companies that have got strange balance sheets beginning to get into trouble. Um, and uh, it, it's just on tiny um, it, it increases in, in, in rates. In, indeed, maybe they've they've already done quite a lot uh, when you put it in the context of companies that, in some instances, are heavily indebted. We, and, uh, but, but part of that comes back to the, the, the indiscriminate buying of the past couple of years, that basically every stock has gone up. It's not quite true, but virtually every stock has gone up. People haven't analysed companies. There hasn't been real research on companies. No one's looked at the sensitivity around um, you know, stock-specific issues. They've simply said, right, it's got a decent dividend, therefore we want to own it. Um, and, and, and actually there will be a greater fool to sell to at some time in the, the future. The problem is, as rates start rising and, and normality returns and we see volatility, um, there isn't that greater fool. And people are actually therefore really having to say, do I actually want to own this stock um, you know, fundamentally for a, on a medium-term outlook? And that is causing a real shake-up in, in, in certain areas of the market. And all that's mattered until now for company bosses has been to keep the... Uh, the dividend. If you were flowing. a stock that was bought on the basis and, and the average shareholder owned it for the dividend, maintaining that dividend is what mattered. Whether or not you were, that was sustainable over the next five years didn't matter. It, was, it needed to be sustainable over your as CEO career lifespan, which obviously on average is about three years. So, um, What about the, um, the great growth stocks, the fangs in the States? Um, uh, a month or so ago you were saying that, um, and, and I think Bill as well, that as we went into any correction that um, we'd all have to start loving the unlovable stocks and the, the fashionable fangs would, um, would disappear, those tech, uh, tech giants. Um, yet we've, we've had a correction and um, the fangs are still climbing. Yeah, that's, um, you know, in a way, that's an enigma. In a way, it's unsurprising. And I think, think you know, what we really have to think is, is slightly longer term than now. Um, my base case certainly is that that will not continue. And the positive momentum you see in those stocks, again, um, is, 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 is transitory as people hope normality is returning. And again, as people start rethinking business models, they're going to look at these companies on phenomenally high multiples and say um, that they are not justified. However, um, uh, you know, Bill made a very articulate um sort of series of arguments around why um, the US is now a more attractive market, fangs or no fangs. Um, well, so. I, I think the, to touch on the fangs for a moment, uh, you're, you're quite right. They, they sold off and then they, they recovered and they're back at new highs. So there's, 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 uh, it'd be wrong to say that the, uh, the fang story is over. But the moves are becoming more violent. Uh, and I think it's, it's interesting to look at 
uh, the difference in the behavioural prices this year versus last year. The fangs went up in a, a steady, very predictable, very reassuring way. Uh, and, and this year they've gone up again, but it hasn't been reassuring. It, uh, there's been much more of a two-way tussle. Uh, and that's, that's an interesting development that we're foolish to ignore. Away from the fangs, uh, I think the, one of the decisions we, we have to make is how to maintain equity exposure. Because if we're just in the early stages of you know, the beginning of the end, then it's, it's too early to abandon equities completely. But we, we do want to find ways to, to build robustness into our equity portfolios. And then to James's point, I think the US equity market is, is an area that historically has offered robustness. Um, there's, there's a quality of company, there's a stability of earnings uh, that uh, is better than many other parts of the world. A lack of cyclicality and exposure to service industries uh, rather than in industrials. All of these things make the US equity market a bit less volatile than the likes of Europe and Japan. Uh, and if we're on the right track in thinking that it's time to, to harden our portfolios a bit and make them a bit more robust, then I think moving some capital away from the more cyclical markets uh, into the United States is a sensible thing to do. One of the, the key decisions, though, is do you, do you buy the U.S. ink fangs or do you buy the U.S. excluding the fangs? Uh, toothless, and, a toothless recovery. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, I, I think my judgment would be at the moment you, uh, you don't completely ignore the fangs, but uh, you should be less keen on the fangs than the rest of the U.S. equity market. Something that's also worth mentioning in the U.S. is just uh, how big the uh, share buybacks have been. Uh, there's clearly one of the, the sort of um, uh, results of this tax reform has been for, for companies to, to go back in and buy their own stocks. And um, and I do wonder if that's quite a strong technical support for that market. Totally. I've, I've just come back from a trip to the US and talking to investors. Um, they were absolutely cock-a-hoop at um, <laughs> the, the impact of this. They are extremely rosy about the year ahead. Yeah, I think, I mean, it, well, I guess it does um, come back to the animal spirits point, but um, the, the, the move in sort of earnings revisions and, and um, estimates for the US is, is huge as a result of this tax reform. I think quite a lot of it is in the price at this stage, but, um, but you can't ignore the, the fact that companies can buy their own shares. Let's move to China. How much does it matter? Um, there's lots going on there. Um, and uh, p political stability, we, we now seem to have, whether you like it or not. I think China always matters a lot, and, and today is no different to that. Um, the timing of China is very difficult, but we've had a quite a significant degree of liquidity tightening there. Uh, and I would expect China to slow uh, this different calling for some sort of crash, but I would expect some sort of slowdown in, in China over the next few months um, once we get past the Chinese New Year. And I think it's important for people to appreciate that China doesn't need to crash for China to be a problem for the global economy and for global markets. We, we've had two slowdowns in Chinese growth uh, since the global financial crisis. And in both instances, it mattered quite a lot for markets. So whilst we're, we're in, in no sense prophesying a, a crisis in China, mm. uh, the odds increasingly favour a slowing in Chinese growth. And as that percolates into the rest of the world, it's, it's likely to have some negative implications uh, for companies that are doing business. And also so for the, the dollar. So um, the, the, the strength of EM equities has coincided very neatly with the weakness in the dollar. Uh, and that move looks very extreme. And you have started to see a sort of a basing out, if you like, of, of those dollar moves. Uh, and as the Fed 
come in early this year with a, a new chair and a, a slightly new tone, I think we could see some, some strength in the dollar over the next uh, few months. So an interesting positioning between the two, China and, and, and the US. James, um, how does this uh, figure in the regional positioning? So, so in a regional positioning sense, um, we are increasing the US broadly to neutral at the moment with a view that it's likely to end up overweight. Um, that's a change again. That is a change, and that's quite a material change because we've gone from a valuation-driven, let's be long Europe, short US, on purely on valuation grounds more than anything, to a we need to be a bit more defensive, and therefore actually we're going to um, increase the, the the US, but not um, you know certainly particularly at the expense of Europe, which remains an overweight, maybe slightly less of an overweight, but still an overweight. Um, you know, the, the, the challenge we're having is in Asia, where we've taken the view to effectively be neutral in Asia and emerging markets. We're continuing that. There is a, a disparate set of views within the team, but, but overall we're neutral. Um, and actually at the margin, the interesting thing is this is the first month that the average um, PM is, is, is positive on Japan. Um, so we've been talking about Japan, but the average PM is, is, has a very marginal overweight. So the, in absolute terms, these are nuances, it sounds like, but um, perhaps the signal that they send is, um, is, is rather more significant. Yes, and, and you know, they are very much consistent with this theme that, that, that we think we're approaching the end, and because we're approaching the end, we've got to be a bit more cautious. We can't just, just position portfolios in a world where we expect equities to go up. We've got to think, actually, what will happen if equities roll over, either in the short term because we're in a period of volatility or in the longer term if we enter a, a real bear market. Now, whoever said that asset managers are boring? Well, not anyone who's heard us play the rich pickings parlour game, hot cakes and hot potatoes. What's selling like hot cakes? What would you drop like a hot potato? Charlotte, your hot cake, first of all. I would like to be long the dollar and short the Australian dollar. So, sorry, long the US dollar and short the Australian dollar. Uh, that's because Australia is quite tied into China and, and iron ore prices uh, and that the RBA, which is the, the central bank there, are... Uh, not really showing any indication that they're going to be tightening policies soon. Uh, that's in stark contrast to the Federal Reserve. And I- is that your both hot cakes and hot potato in one, or is that a, no, a, a, I have a, that's a separate, simply a pair? Okay, no, I right. have a separate hot uh, potato. That is to be short Hong Kong uh, equities. I think they have rallied very, very hard off the back of a weaker dollar and excess liquidity in Hong Kong and the uh, HKMA are going to un- come under some pressure to mop up that liquidity and that should hurt equities. Bill, your hotcakes. Uh, I'll keep it a bit simpler. Um, I, I I would own the Japanese yen here. Uh, if we're on the right track and thinking that global interest rates are coming down, then I think the yen would strengthen. Uh, and I I would be wary of credit. Um, we talked about buying government bonds. Uh, we're talking about the potential for a, a negative growth shock, and I think one of the areas of the financial market mix that is quite fully priced uh, is is credit, so sell credit to buy government bonds. Danger in the credit markets. And um, James, what about your hotcakes? Well, mine are rather similar. I was actually going to go with gilts as, as my hotcake, um, both because we're sat around the table here in England and, and maybe therefore I have a slight domestic bias, but also I think um, in terms of protecting a portfolio, um, if, if, if things roll over sooner than we expect, that's where you want to be. Um, I'd be more specific in my, my hot potato as well, which, which would be Eurozone credit. Um, I think you know, the Eurozone credit is, is, is the area that worries me the most. Absolutely. Okay, well, we're out of time. I hope that's given you an insight into the thinking behind this month's asset allocation. If you'd like more detail, it's published in full on our website. And if you'd like to discuss anything we've covered, just ask your Fidelity contact. Thanks very much indeed to my guests, Charlotte, James and Bill. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next month. But for now, goodbye.
This podcast is for investment professionals only and should not be relied on by private investors. This podcast is provided for information purposes only and is intended only for the person or entity to which it is sent. It must not be reproduced or circulated to any other party without prior permission of Fidelity. The value of investments can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. For other important legal notices, please see our website or the Fidelity SoundCloud or iTunes apps.